Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Simon? Hey, Robin. How you doing? Hey, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Uh, I was trying to work out how long it's been, and I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if you've been following, but the Supreme Court declared my prorogation of this podcast um, unlawful, so I had to bring it back. So here we are. <laughs> so that was the prime motivation, hey? <laughs> yeah, it was a lawful requirement. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. You don't want to, you know, get locked up or something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, are they monitoring what we're talking about? Have we got to keep it all above board? I, I doubt it. I think it might just be me and you listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah you're right though it's been a while um my fault my bad my bad um no i thought uh, i thought it was last year and then i wasn't actually convinced that it might have been two years i think it was 2018 was it? yeah i think so i think yeah. so because what what that the benefit of that is that one of our episodes stayed at the top of the feed in soundcloud which <laughs> means it's got a lot more listens than everything else because it was top of the feed so uh, okay. it makes us makes us look extra popular excellent stuff um so when we did these previously we kind of had a little catch up about what uh what we've been doing since we last spoke and that was supposed to be like a sort of week apart and uh, and what have you so i'm guessing things have changed a bit since we last spoke and we might have even got some new listeners so i suppose we better um give them an, an outline of uh of who, well probably not who we are but what's going on um but also i want to kind of tinker with the show format this time around um so last time we had some topics that we attempted to attack um and we'll do that a bit this time but i was thinking more along the line i'm going to workshop this with you now um so a new show format would have been kind of a little catch up since we last spoke um and then what have we heard what's caught your ear in recent in the recent interviews or what have you seen that uh, that you want to have a chat about something a bit more um current than perhaps digging up a, a topic that we want to to dissect i mean the the things are all it's a big melting pot they'll all come in and then um if there's anything that you kind of or both of us want to share with the class that we've seen um then uh, we'll put some links in the show notes and, and point people to some maybe some cool stuff that they perhaps might not have seen or and they can do the same for us awesome i mean that sounds super good to me i particularly like the kind of uh running interludes with your other podcasts um the last two were super interesting and looking forward to the other one. So I like that. Um, and it's also nice to be able to get a bit of hopeful dynamic interaction with, uh, with listeners. If there's stuff that's interesting to them, or like you say, a few little, um, nuggets of, uh, of information and topics and developments that we've spotted. So, uh, sounds good to me. Yeah. I mean, this is also my way of ensuring at least one other person listens to the podcasts because then uh, otherwise I'll catch you out and you won't know what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, that's an obligation I'm happy to fulfill. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so f like I say, f for people who either don't know who we are or what uh, we're currently doing, um, do you want to make a, do you want to have a little one minute on that or what I'll have, a, I'll have a little one minute and then you can uh interrupt me when i uh when i go on for too long roger yes yeah, so um i guess when we were doing it last time um i was doing some consultancy work in cambridge uh, my background's mostly cfd a bit of motorsports and formula one where our paths crossed um 
too long ago for me to want to work out when it actually was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. We'll leave that one there. Um, and then did some other things, some interesting modeling and simulation work in product development, some piezoelectric print heads. So something more than air flowing over bits. Um, and then into a consultancy environment. So lots of different topics across different sectors, some medical devices, some drug delivery, some solar power. Um, so that was all very interesting. But um, during all of that, I've had a little itch to go and work for myself. Um, so that's something I've just managed to scratch only in July this year. Ooh. So started out a little solo consultancy, Upstream Applied Science, um, which is nice. Um, you know, a lot of that has been obviously the personal drive but then as we've talked about in the past the uh, prevalence of open source and cloud computing is really a, a significant enabling factor for that but um, that's a train that you got on a long a long time before i did um, so that's all fitting together nicely um, and i'm doing that in tandem with working at a startup down in london called monolith ai and those guys are particularly interested in using uh, machine learning in the engineering environment uh, particularly with engineering data sets, so in harmony with physical tests, with simulation as well. So there's um, a nice, interesting crossover there that I'm currently involved in as well. No, I'm not wanting to sort of skip past the the upstream bit because I think we'll we'll that'll be a running theme anyway. But um, with the work that's going on at Monolith, that's not, I guess you're doing CFD, but they do they do things related to other stuff as well, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, a lot of my driver there is um, being um, a point of contact for clients where they already do some simulation work. Um, so to make sure that the data scientists who are at Monolith are very focused on delivering uh, a machine learning solution for them also have got um, that kind of awareness of what the data set looks like, what the sort of workflows that the uh, simulation people at the clients would be doing to make sure that there's a nice... Um, harmonious relationship between the data that the machine learning needs and the data that simulations can provide so that's kind of my role in in that um, in that offering so that's certainly interesting from my perspective to learn a bit more about um, what you need from a from an ai perspective but then also to kind of add some value from a, this is how the guys who are doing simulation and girls who are doing simulation um, will be doing things and how they'll be thinking about their problems at the other end I've never thought of guys as a gender one, gender specific one, but uh, yeah, we, well, well caught. Um, the is the other thing as well. So you get to sort of wander around London as a kind of st- guy from a startup. Are you, are you getting a bit hipster on us? <laughs> um, well, I think the uh, the only hipster element is um, buying myself a nice set of headphones so that I can listen to music on the train. Wandering around London, not so much. Um, it's based in. Um, in a WeWork office near Farringdon. We can, if we want to talk about WeWork, it's in the news lately, slightly off-piste, um, so maybe we won't go there just yet. But interestingly, uh, when I started, they were based in um, Kensington High Street, um, which is literally just around the corner from Imperial College where I did my PhD ooh, very long time ago. So that felt um, almost like I'd gone full circle, uh, back in the same place of the country, doing the same sorts of things I was doing 20-odd years ago. So that was a, a, an interesting spell for a few weeks. Oh, I was expecting beards and cold brew coffee. <laughs> uh, no, the beard comes and goes. Um, it mostly hits the upper limit of my wife's tolerance and then it gets cut off again. So the CFD that you're doing for your own self, that is, um, as the name suggests, there's some 
applied aspect to it. It's less of the because the, the the monolith stuff sounded very cutting edge, very um, developmental. Yeah, so um, I mean, the developmental part from uh, monolith's perspective is that is true. A lot of that sort of, I mean, the main focus there is trying to get as much benefit from existing data sets as possible. So um, if you think about it from a simulation perspective, you're making a new widget. Um, quite often you'll have some requirements, performance requirements for a new widget, and you want to go off and do some CFD or some structural mechanics or whatever it is to work out um, how to design your widget to meet those requirements. Quite often in that process, you're not necessarily looking back at previous iterations or design cycles of said widget. Um, so one of the... Uh, one of the angles that Monolith are exploring that I think's um, got a lot of potential is to then say, well, okay, can we learn anything about previous design cycles and apply it to the current one? Um, so there's quite a lot of kind of knowledge transfer and trying to get as much engineering data into the process to help you with your current design challenges. So um, that's the kind of driver there. Um, I mean, that is relatively high tech. Um, some of the stuff that I'm doing, I guess I like to think is a bit high tech, but that's a bit more broad and in the light of AI, you might say, even, I don't know if old fashioned is the right terminology, but, you know, stuff that you and I have been doing for a long time um, and just kind of bringing it up to speed in terms of some of the power that you can um, you can bring from the cloud. So I like the idea of doing lots of, uh, if you do a design of experiments, for example, um, running all of your 20 DOE cases at the same time on AWS. Um, so you can kind of assess a design space over the course of a weekend. Those are the types of things that I'm interested in from an upstream perspective. Love it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I said, you've been on this train for a, for a while longer than me. Yeah, I'm still not quite sure whether I'm on the right train or where this train's going. But uh, yeah, the, the, I keep shoveling the coal and uh, we're heading somewhere. So... Uh... We shall see. You get distracted by doing podcasts. Of course. I mean, I guess, um, is there anything you want to share about what train you've been on for the past year or so? Well, you kind of outlined it, really. So the, um, like I say, or like you said, our paths crossed back in, in F1, and I've kind of got a race car automotive type background, and that's the, really the kind of CFD that I've been doing in consultancy, either f- on my own or uh, or uh, in other businesses for, for quite a while now. That's my comfy spot. Um, and that seems to be kind of the bulk of the work that I do either. It doesn't really have a good designation, kind of ground vehicles, because uh, as well as cars and racing cars, I do um, bicycles and motorbikes and coaches and buses and things like that. Um, low speed um not particularly tricky physics for the kind of thing that i'm working on um geometrically sometimes challenging kind of quite complicated geometrically and usually with a fairly tight um box of constraints so you've got either the uh, box of constraints that comes from the the rule book when you're doing talking about racing stuff or various other kind of manufacturing constraints or cost constraints or time constraints or something like that um like i say that the cfd and the physics and what have you is not too difficult the uh making it work within the constraints is is where the the trick is normally okay so uh so the not too tricky physics uh 
is interesting to me because I would imagine there's a lot of uh, potential variability around our good old friend turbulence models. Um, and given the uh, increase in compute power you can leverage, I'm guessing are you, uh, there's some, is there some LES, DES, or are you very much RANs? And how does that play out in terms of what clients may or may not expect? Um, quite often, the the sort of the clients don't expect anything in particular as opposed uh, above and beyond like a, a particular deliverable if you know what i mean so they the clients aren't driving um any sort of cfd particular choices um you do get into um des occasionally um but a lot of the stuff is i uh, i was gonna say low-hanging fruit and it's kind of like you were saying earlier about it being old-fashioned these are these are sort of pejorative um, and I don't, that's not kind of how I mean. It's just that a lot of the direction and the, the gains that we're, that we're making with these CFD projects and the, the goals that we're after can be achieved with these kind of lower, lower fidelity methods. Um, and we're not going to gain a lot other than runtime and complexity from, uh, from going to some of those more higher order methods or more complex um, physics at that stage um, eventually you get to that point where yes it doesn't cut it anymore and we need to step up but um, particularly in racing um, that car's gone by the time you've got to that point and you're starting from scratch again yeah absolutely I mean that's um, that's also super interesting to me just because of my perspective around these things of you know there's a variety of different ways you can model different physics to different levels of complexity and it's really important just to remember very clearly and focus on what answers you're trying to gain to what questions and then you can frame the do i need to do les des or will rounds be okay um or you know what kind of constitutive model do i need for my solid mechanics or all these types of things um so i guess um, that's something that you kind of practice as well yeah it is um in fact it sort of leads me a little bit towards one of my talking points that I kind of actually hadn't shared with you so uh, it was kind of kind of timely um was thinking about how you know now you're spending more time doing some of your own stuff um sort of how do you manage your kind of CFD to-do list because I, I don't know about you but I'm forever coming across things uh, new methods, new codes, new ways of doing things, new all sorts, new machines, new hardware, whatever. Um, and sort of how do you kind of manage your your list of shiny objects that you want to go and have a look at and then temper it with that comment that like you just made that um, a lot of customer work doesn't need those shiny objects at the moment and you need to focus on making what you do do as slick as possible and kind of put those shiny objects to one side and, and not get too distracted by them do you, do you struggle with that at all uh yeah a little bit um i do like uh i do like a few shiny objects in my cfd tool set i guess um the thing that i find it useful to try and remember is um aside from spending the time to go and uh, investigate the new technique a little bit more which i you know i could happily spend some time doing um is you know what's the value in that is that just a value in my interest and i have some time available and i can go and look into it and it might be something that i can then use later on or is there um something from my experience or some work 
and some angles in particular market sectors where I think there's a real tangible benefit to a particular existing process or an existing uh, market requirement where there's, you know, where that could add some value. In which case, um, if it's the latter, then I'd probably go and spend a little bit more time uh, purposefully going to look into it because I can see how it fits in with um, how my work in that area might develop. If it's something that I just find interesting, um, then I'll probably just have a look to get enough of a flavour and hopefully enough so that I can remember something about it should that situation come up in future. So it's it's always a tempering of that, oh, that'll be interesting, and oh, maybe that'll solve that problem. And then it's a case of, yes, but is that solving just one of my problems that I'm interested in, or is it solving a problem for a you know potential client or potential market sector or something out in the industry, in which case uh, it's, you know, it's a case of dedicating some time to go and look into it and then hopefully go and test that out to see if it does actually add the value that I think I can see. Because, I mean, that even comes back to kind of, we're both open phone users at uh, at one at time, some time or another, whether we're currently using it or, or otherwise. Um, I am. Are you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you could even relate that back to uh, open phone releases. You know, sometimes you look at it and think, there's not really anything in this release that, directly affect there's loads of good stuff in it and great work that's been done and all the rest of it but there's nothing really in this that touches me um yeah and then do you bother going through the the rigmarole of upgrading a, a version and making sure it's um it's as you intended and that nothing's broken and, and all your scripts still work and things like that um so that's less of a shiny object thing but more having a focus on what is actually delivering the the value for the CFD that you do. The other thing that came to mind there was sort of along the lines of like when Apple developed the iPod. I don't think anybody was crying out for an iPad iPod because it didn't exist. Um, the the whole Henry Ford thing about uh, if I ask my customers what they want, they tell me a faster horse or whatever butchered version of that uh, quote that was. Um, the customers aren't asking for anything technically in particular. So do you have to look at it and think, or oh, if, if I made that work, then I could offer this new thing, but maybe not quite sure whether that new thing is, is of interest. It's one of those situations where it very much depends on um, how involved your clients or prospective clients might be in your workflow. So your yeah, example was about, okay, so, most of your clients are relatively turbulence model agnostic. If that's the case, then it really has to be, you have to be able to look at the new shiny thing in enough detail and picture and give it some context of, okay, so when I've put the effort into this and I've got something out the end, does does the client actually think that's valuable or do they not really care that I've spent you know a week making something a bit better and it doesn't really touch their deliverables or their kind of metrics that they're interested in um you know and that's how that's how it works with some clients they're much more focused in the performance than necessarily the methodology other people are a bit keener in the methodology and uh, you know have a research hat isn't quite the right description but if you see what i mean they they have a more more interest in methodologies and um, certainly if there's people that you're working with where you're helping them you know with their computational workflow then that's got more of a, a strong play in those areas so i think it i think the thing that's most important is just to try and kind of put yourself in your customer's shoes and try and second guess how they would feel about you spending some time um to develop that and does that work for them in terms of what they're looking for yeah i guess it depends as well whether 
customers, competitors perhaps are doing CFD. If CFD's table stakes, then you need the best CFD that's, that's going. If doing CFD is the differentiating factor, as in nobody's doing it, so the very fact that you're doing any at all um, is giving you a leg up, then... Uh, we're probably at different levels there, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's very much trying to put the your customers' glasses on, and how are they going to how are they going to see all of this? Um, I, I mean, that's it's a useful thing to do, and it's also a useful thing to try and do, I guess, when you're wrestling with the different physics. And you were talking about the complexity from your perspective, um, and how how difficult shiny new objects are. Um, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, kind of figuring out what the best level of detail to go with boundary conditions and how big's your domain and do i need to worry about this radiator flow here and all that kind of things that's all the kind of all the things that you have to have a view on in terms of what answers you're trying to generate so framing it in that way kind of helps um i guess it doesn't work for me all the time sometimes i will end up just because it's interesting i'll go and spend a bit of time having a look at it but i guess that's the fun of uh, of working for yourself and maybe having an hour or two every now and again where you can just explore new technologies and new topics and see if they go anywhere yeah i mean have you got anything at the top of your wish list at the moment your not wish list perhaps your to-do list um so uh i'll put this one out there here's a this is something we hadn't talked about um there's a automotive cfd methods conference in december in oxford um so similar to the sort of things that the americans are doing with their reference models for uh, uh, airplanes. Okay. um so um it's run by a guy called neil ashton who's a researcher over at oxford um i've bumped into him a couple of times on the nafem cfd working group yeah um and he's putting that together uh so that's generally I think that's an interesting thing to be doing. There's lots of people involved from a UK auto perspective, some guys from Jaguar, uh, Aston Martin, I think. Um, but it was going to be the thing I was going to drop in at the end, so I guess I'm dropping it in now. Um, I'll send, put the link out, and it's quite good because they've got a nice reference set of uh, validation cases. So there's a, a very non-car-looking SAE reference model with some good experimental data set and our old friend the drive air model uh, with some proper grids so kind of DES scale grids um, so that's cool uh, that's useful to go and have a look at I'm keen to just kind of run that through the um, the usual open phone process uh, and I'm guessing that's something you might be interested in as well from your auto focus uh, but the thing that's nagging at the back of me is to have a good old look at this Pi FR GPU code um, so if I get some time, that would be the thing that I would start to explore um, just to get a feeling for kind of how easy that is to use on a, a kind of proper case rather than the, you know, the demo cases you get that's flow over a 2D cylinder, which is kind of useful to get stuff up and running, but doesn't really tell you what's the value in terms of the time saving or the complexity in terms of getting these set up. So that would be top of my list at the moment. What's about you? I, I was just wondering, they, so PyFR would be the top of the list, not the other one. Uh, yeah, well, so to use PyFR on these ah, okay, so sorry, be- got you. Uh, because they've uh, they've got a, I think they've got a bunch of standard mesh formats. So they've done a really good job of providing a whole bunch of different um, RANs level grids, DES level grids in I think Star CCM, Fluent, Open Foam, and CGNS formats. Um, so I think that's just super that they've got that there as a resource to go and have a look at. And as I said, I think people should just uh, go and have a look because there's um, there's lots of good grids there if you're doing any validation or method development type work. So is it like the high lift thing that I've seen? Yeah, it's one of those. 
there's the high lift and the drag prediction thing. That's kind of split out into two bits in the US. Isn't they do a high lift thing and a drag prediction thing, I think. Yeah, because you can split those two dead easy. <laughs> They're orthogonal, right? Yeah, I mean, that used to drive me nuts. Well, we've got the drag right, but the lift's a bit off. Well, you've got it all wrong, man. Anyway, yes. don't don't go. I'm not yeah. going. I'm not. I can, going I can see there. you. I can see you're sensitive on that one. Let's uh, let's move that one along. Yeah, because they are different. They're absolutely, completely different forces. They're not related at all. They're not a contrivance. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah, what would be top of mind? A joint. I mean, it's not even new. It's not even particularly shiny. But I could see it being super useful if I could be sparing of the time to get dug into it and uh, make it into something useful for me. Okay, so um, just on that a little bit more then, have you had a play? Because it's in the latest um, Open Phone Plus version, right? It is, yeah. Uh, beyond the tutorial, no, not really. Okay, but you've dipped your toe in the water. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of my um, issue with some of those things, and that might be resolved by some of these more standard Z-type models, is kind of what to play with it on, um, uh, what to apply it to other than a... Uh, Ahmed body or something like that is uh, is a bit tricky. Yeah, and uh, I guess it uh, it plays a little bit into the turbulence modeling conversation we're having because I think it's you have to compile it specifically with a formulation for a given turbulence. Yes, model, if I'm correct. So the uh, so the Openphone Plus one's got Spala Almaras, and that's certainly not my turbulence model of choice at the moment. So uh, I guess there's a little bit of a restriction around uh, how you might apply it if that's not your implemented turbulence model. Yeah, I mean, I did. I reviewed a paper on uh, on. Well, I, did, I don't know if I actually reviewed it or just commented on it. I can't remember. I think reviewing it might be a bit too strong. Um, and uh, they, they'd used an adjoint technique on a uh, to make some changes to a car body. You know, I couldn't comment on whether the uh, the mathematics of it were correct, but everything the adjoint is suggesting to do is what I would do. If you know what I mean? Yes. Push it in here, pull it out there, bend this bit, uh, make that bit narrower. Um, they'd be all the uh, all the tweak which is terrifying because once you ai machine learning guys get your finger out then uh, i'm going to be out of a job <laughs> well yeah um interesting you say that um and there's certainly an element of of those things coming together in a similar way i guess my thought would be um and we can touch on it maybe a bit later on in the series is ai does tend to need quite a lot of data um so you know if you're talking about one or two joint simulations that can add some value the AI is going to tend to need a bit more than that. So there's a there's a bit of a trade-off there about how kind of data hungry the AI is before it gives you some value. And I guess for me that's a nice that's an interesting shift between how complex your upfront kind of coding open phone development has to be to get you on a joint solver versus how much handle turning you might have to do to get the AI to kind of catch up. So that's a, an interesting dynamic in that in that market, I think. Okay, well, don't do not do us both out of a job before we've even started. Oh, we've got a few months left, yeah, I think. Oh, okay, excellent. I've messed <laughs> up my rates. Um, so, I mean, I, I shanghaied the conversation there and disappeared, diverted us off down the uh, to-do list. And we, we mentioned, like, whether we could keep it relevant to, to recent interviews. Was there anything in any of the recent interviews, um, either with Eric or Stefano, that, um, that caught your ear? I was going to say caught your eye, but that would be difficult. Yeah, there was a couple um, from both, I guess, um, the one with Stefano this week. I was um, I was really interested in his comments around how, uh, in his industry, there's the harmonious use of uh, CFD and kind of wind tunnel 
experimental data uh, and how that's evolving for them because you and I both had similar experience of that process from our Formula One days when there was maybe at that point not such a harmonious use of wind tunnel and CFD data. So I thought that was interesting with regards to is that just because CFD kind of went into Formula One earlier than it went into the built environment and now they're going through a similar process? Uh, Stefano was pretty keen to um, stress the point that they were it was a sort of fairly harmonious relationship as opposed to an adversarial one where it was no the CFD right no the wind tunnels right and and definitely the it was more at the time it was much more adversarial in, in Formula One um, I, I guess that's what I was going to say I guess they were very separate groups of people um, when we were involved we we never went in the tunnel as CFD guys and the tunnel guys never did any CFD and that I'm pretty sure that's not the case anymore you've got more recent experience of it than me but I mean they they were also in that situation that Stefano was describing I don't think the, the wind tunnel guys were doing CFD and I don't think he was going in the, the tunnel so to speak but they were kind of Perhaps they were just a bit more grown up about it. That they kind of aug- <laughs> augmented each other rather than going. Well, you can't do that. If you can't do that, then you can't do anything. Um, which is obviously not the case. But it, 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 I was party to plenty of conversations along those lines. Well, you can't even get that right. Absolutely. And then you know the counter side of that was. Um, I remember a particular situation where the CFD had been saying for literally months there was a separation on a front wing, and then the wind tunnel aero guys didn't believe it and then oh actually they had a look at it with some flovis paint oh look it was there's a bit of a separation there um so i mean and those sorts of things are par for the course right i mean that's just those are the sorts of developments that um are where the value of doing both cfd and wind tunnel or cfd experiment or simulation experiment in whatever your industry are kind of those are the the bits that you gain by doing both together and one informs the direction of the other and what you look at um i guess the thing that was i was wondering listening to stefano's comments was given the uh less than harmonious relationship initially in in f1 in some of our experience i'm just wondering if you know, maybe there's some people who worked in that environment who've now maybe moved on into others and have, have kind of learnt from that and everything's now a lot more open and the value of kind of working together is a lot more evident in people's minds maybe than it was when we first experienced it. I don't know. I think where it fell apart in in that situation was um, a sort of when it got down to finger pointing and, and who's right rather than an acceptance of well neither of us are right um, that's why the car's not very quick on the track because uh, then then you bring that you bring that third aspect in um, I mean w- were you still there when we had two different two tunnels CFD and track I mean how many times do you want to measure something yeah um, I'm not sure I was there at that so that was the BAR Honda days Um I don't remember the two tunnels, um, but yes, I mean certainly at my time at Manor as well. Subsequent to that, it was very much a case of, um, you know, it's the track performance that's the important one, um, and if there's different aspects of the CFD in the tunnel that interplay with that in a different way, then you need to be aware of it. And I think earlier on, it was very much a case of, well, the wind tunnels the kind of reference, so the CFD should match that, and there wasn't necessarily as much. Um, conversation around well what's the difference between the wind tunnel and the track then and can cfd help with that um i mean certainly some of the other stuff i've done in motorsports 
not in Formula One. Um, there was a very, very well-defined case where the CFD was more accurately representing the on-track performance, and that was just because the boundary condition set up in the tunnel was sufficiently separate from what was actually going on on the track, that it was messing with the car aerodynamics. Um, and so, you know, in that case, it was a clear-cut situation of, of CFD being better to track, but only with regards to one kind of aspect of the aero performance. So, you know, you had to be aware of that. Um, that situation uh, ended up leading up to CFD being used pretty exclusively in aero development, and that was one of the seeds for the... Uh, for the well-famed Virgin CFD-only F1 car, which maybe we could talk about. How did that go, Simon? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's a conversation I'd like to mentally prepare myself for a little bit more. Um, not as well, well as having, you might Having think. laid hands on that Honda <laughs> F1 car, I can't say anything about anything. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, I mean, it's a little bit unfair for me to be slightly cynical there just because there was a considerable backdrop to that scenario with regards to Virgin and two other teams entering under a... Uh, uh, a predefined 40 million a year budget cap, which was, you know, borderline orders of magnitude less than what some of the other teams were operating under. And in that scenario, uh, having a CFD only aerodynamic development um, program was much more cost and time effective versus, you know, making scale parts as well as full size parts, shipping them to wind tunnels, all those kind of things. So um, it's not fair to be uh, to be as cynical as you might about the result without understanding some of the kind of commercial and, and kind of practical project dynamics that uh, that played into that decision. No, I mean by the time they paid your enormous wages as well, then uh, they uh, <laughs> that's really eating into that development budget. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's how it goes. Sometimes you've got to uh, take the opportunities where they come. Absolutely. <laughs> So it's good to hear, though, that uh, it, industries aren't just repeating the same oh, yeah, mistakes of uh, of just disappearing down the black hole of, we're right in the tunnel. No, we're right in the CFD. Uh, no, nobody's right. Um, just do the best that you can with the tools that you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that's certainly um, been part of my experience over the recent years is how much value you get from having a kind of well-aligned experimental and numerical development program because very rarely do you find that one of those two elements on their own gives you all of the answers you need to the level of accuracy that you need. Um, They both bring different things to the party. And if you can be kind of aware of that up front and figure out what questions are best answered experimentally and what questions are best answered uh, with a simulation approach, and where the crossover is, because, you know, you need to make sure that you've got a certain level of agreement between those two, depending on what questions you're trying to answer. For me, that's that's been a really kind of strong learning over the past five or six years from what I've seen is it's really valuable to get those two things working well together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Although, what do you get exposed to many situations where that kind of experimental aspect doesn't really exist? So it would go from from a motorsport point of view, from CFD to track? Yes, I do see that. Um, a lot of that really is from what I've seen and some of the things I'm trying to do at the moment is where you are using CFD, say, really, really early in the design cycle. Uh, maybe you've got a new product, so you don't have a previous versions, you haven't got anything experimental uh, set up yet, and you're just trying to find some design directions and almost a little kind of proof of concept where it's much more um, 
time and cost effective to build some CFD models than it is to start thinking about, okay, I need some prototype parts. You've got a whole bunch of challenges about how prototype actually are your prototype parts. Does, you know, do all of the, all of its functionality work as you'd expect? And then you've got some potentially complicated uh, experiments to do. And particularly in the cases where your experiment's just difficult to do, for me, that's where I see a lot of the value of, of kind of focusing on the, on the simulation approach. So it, it's kind of not necessarily, you know, going from CFD straight to the track as, uh, as your analogy was, but it's very much a case of what's the most cost-effective way to get design direction information. And, you know, CFD and, and the simulation approaches really do satisfy that as long as you're sufficiently careful about the fact that you're developing potentially a complicated simulation process that by definition you're not validating that sort of brings me to a point that i made in or that i tried to put to stefano um and that he he answered quite well um quite graciously because i'm not sure it, it came across um quite so clearly and I, i'd also asked it in in some of the follow-up of these insight interviews and it was essentially i was asking him whether they were chasing direction which you've just been talking about or accuracy now i know without a given level of accuracy you don't get any direction you just get nonsense um but do you does that distinction make any sense to you you know being those kind of projects where what we're really after here early stage is direction and we're not going to be chasing down the nth percentage point of accuracy it does and i guess the thing that jumps to my mind is what it doesn't have to it. just because um, you don't have to agree <laughs> no but i do um good and i guess it's back to the kind of framing the situation so you can stay on okay, thanks thanks mate uh so it's really back down to the, the kind of what information you're trying to get so okay you're trying to get some design direction so you don't need to you know be nth degree accurate with your turbulence model or, or whatever aspect of the physics are but it's it's the case where by definition you're not doing explicit validation so for me, in that case, you're kind of replacing the requirement for validation for the requirement with confidence. So it's a case of, okay, I've done some CFD here. Uh, I haven't validated it, but the CFD is suggesting we should go this way in the design space. Um, and I'm confident that that's a sensible thing to do because the physics I've included capture this, this, and this. And these appear to be you know, driving factors that split performance across design direction one and design direction two. So as long as you have been rigorous enough in your methodology and looking back at the assumptions that you've made and the physics that you've implemented then hopefully someone of kind of experienced in the field um, should be able to express a level of confidence to be taking that decision um, so i guess though i mean that, that's both the kind of challenge and the benefit right the challenge is that you're having to make some physics simulation based decisions without any experiment but by definition, if you can do that well, then you really get the fast track benefits upstream in your. Huh, sorry, that wasn't meant to be a plug. Uh, upstream <laughs> in your design process. Do we need like one of those sort of bell sound? Ding. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> red mark for Simon. <laughs> um, no, because me most of my most of my projects are like that. There is no validation phase. There's there is not even any data that we could compare it to um so yeah it does involve that kind of degree of of confidence in the process and that um that what we're doing is is sound without um without that that validation process if you like in the background some some people are going to be shuddering at that 
Uh, no, but it's you know it's a it's the nature of having to move quickly in some of the industries that we work in, um, and you know those are the trade offs you make. You don't have to go for that approach, but the other approach is going to be probably more time and money expensive in terms of giving yourself a design direction, and you may be more confident with that design direction but you might have spent twice as much and taken twice as long. So, you know, those are just the the kind of hard engineering decisions that you've got to take. And it's not surprising that there's enough momentum to go for the quicker, but maybe not as initially validated, you know, results data set that you might like. To put it in context as well, I'm kind of talking about, from my perspective, making a slightly better front bumper for a touring car. I'm not talking about doing this to design a new nuclear power station or something like that. Well, no, absolutely. So there's some context in there. Uh, And I certainly, you know, you and I wouldn't recommend that approach for a a brand spanking new Sellafield, would we? I mean, we just wouldn't do that. (laughs) No, we do that in Excel. No. Absolutely. Um, but just on that point, um, you, we mentioned a little bit about the uh, the incoming AI wave. Um, and for me, that's the area where you have to be a little bit careful because the AI won't necessarily tell you why it thinks you should be off in this direction. Um, I'm sure you've seen in the media recently that there's some there's some good AI research. I can't remember. It was probably one of the big guys over in the US. Um, they were like, well, the AI has told us to do this, but we can't work out how it's worked out it should do that <laughs> and then you're like okay so you know how where's my kind of rational rigorous you know confidence building exercise against the well it's do we just want to do what the ai says or not is this, um, is this ai gut feel well it's i i don't know enough about the detail of the maths um and the background to it but as as everybody will probably be aware there's some relatively complicated ai uh, implementations of projects going on where you know and some people have said the ai we can't work out how the ai has worked out how to do this um so, so how do you how do you balance that with the types of processes that we've just been talking about where you know some people certainly people from a technical background are going to be very keen to at least either examine maybe the experimental data if they've gone for the for the uh the experimental approach or interrogate the likes of you and i as to you know why we really are backing this particular design direction choice right again you terrified me a bit no it's fine okay um so that was the stefano one i'm glad you managed to pull a nugget from that was there anything from eric's interview i yeah i really enjoyed eric's interview um that was super interesting just you know in terms of i guess the journey that he's been on the amount of time he's been doing it and all of the the kind of developments historically that uh, that he's seen. So that was just a super good episode for me. I guess the the bits that stuck out for me were um, his advice to people starting up, obviously super relevant to my position. Um, interested in his thoughts and directions around um, concentrating on a particular market segment somewhere where you know the industry in detail um obviously that's interesting to me because that's not necessarily my approach at the moment um i don't think that's uncommon though i think the i think the tendency is to kind of particularly at the start is it's almost a luxury to be able to say well i'm not going to do this piece of work i'm going to focus on this particular particular niche you need you need the you need the bank balance to back that up um after a a short period if if having done i don't know how many projects 
and uh, having the uh, having the the safety net in the background that you then decide well i really enjoy these sort of projects or this is where i am delivering maximum value then uh, and then going after a particular niche I, i don't think it's unusual in fact to sort of trail upcoming episodes there are other people talking about similar things um and, and their their approach to that so i don't think going broad particularly initially is is necessarily a bad thing particularly if you've got your listening ears on as opposed to not if you're walking into other industries that are kind of adjacent to where you've done most work previously and knowing it all then that that's not i don't think that's going to end well in terms of either business-wise or reputationally um but if you're if you're walking into these places with like i say with your listening ears on and asking questions and finding out where where the value lies i i've been in so many client discussions where it's essentially gone along the lines of this is what we can do for you we can do this whiz bang stuff and we can do that and eventually having spouted all the various different things that could be done and that are fancy and that we'd be interested to do the client goes right yeah that's all well and good but this is what we're interested in and that is often not visible from the from outside the industry or out even outside that company sometimes so the constraints that get applied that that mean that what you think might be exciting to them or interesting really just isn't no, and I think that's that's super relevant in terms of just you kind of learning from that experience of having an idea about what a good direction might be. But if you get told that that's not the case, then you need to adapt and learn to that. So absolutely buy into that. Um, I guess the other thing that's just jumped into my mind is Eric's view ties in well with what we were talking about previously around, well, how do you decide whether you're going to spend some time looking into your shiny new objects? Yeah. And if, if you'd followed... Um, Eric's advice of being very kind of segment focused Um, and then to use I think his words where you've got a great understanding of the problems that your clients are having not just necessarily around the provision of CFD or a simulation but you kind of understand the the industry some of the applications the customers all that kind of stuff if you have that depth of knowledge then that's really enabling in deciding quite early on whether a shiny new thing is going to be able to help solve some of those problems or not um so i just thought that was a useful analogy to not analogy a useful reference to what we were talking about of really being able to place the value of doing some extra research for you know all of the new methods and and directions that that simulation could take it in there's uh, there's various stories along those lines which i've not 100 percent sure whether i'm free to share but so i won't but uh, you see it a lot to put it that way yeah yeah i guess the other one for me uh from eric was i i kind of i hadn't really thought about this in detail until he mentioned it uh in terms of use of kind of open source consu- uh computing on a per project basis which is something that's obviously been working for you for a long time works really well for me um in my time in the cambridge consultancy area where it was really just you know enabled the leveraging of hpc-ish level capability per project you didn't have to worry about any of your kind of ongoing maintenance and other bits and bobs um but eric's example was um, kind of hit me by surprise because i hadn't really thought about it and i thought i probably should have thought about it which is you have to be like super careful with your setup um i think he used the example of you got the flow going in the wrong direction and i think you shuddered a little bit um i think we've all got those scars uh, but 
against the case where you've got maybe a big piece of work for a client and the cloud computing bill is going to be significant. Um, and he was yeah, absolutely spot on. If you if you mess it up, you can't be passing those costs on to clients. Um, and, I've, you know, touch wood, uh, that's not a situation I found myself in. But I guess it was a little bit of an eye opener for just being as careful as you can be and double checking your your cases uh, rings rings me back to the days when we used to work together and you always used to get somebody else to check your cases before you put them on the queue yeah absolutely um i think the um the immediacy but particularly with cloud computing where if you've messed it up you you're still paying for it um you're paying for it in the time it took to fix it um the time it took to solve it that's gone in the bin and the uh, the cost of the compute for for doing it so that brings it really front and center that uh, need to get this right um also depending how you either intend to or do charge for for projects the the way i do it that there's never the opportunity to be able to go back to a customer and go actually no this was a bit more expensive than we thought so uh, this is we're going to charge you more for that uh, i tend to cost all my projects on a on a flat fee so there's no rebilling or anything like that oh if i'm messing it up it's coming out of my pocket it's not coming out of anybody else's pocket so there's another incentive to uh, to not mess it up i guess the uh, the thing that brought that jumped into my mind again after that was um you and i when we used to work in formula one we had a slightly different driver which was oh there's a race this weekend and you really need to get the aero profiles done for this front wing ujima flip um you know it was the same situation you, you can't really mess that up you've got a fixed time scale uh the penalty is not kind of uh absorbing the, uh, the the costs of fixing it in your own business uh balance sheet but it's a case of well we need some information we've got one shot at this so you just have to get it right right in inverted commas um yeah, well I'm, yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool i'm glad you managed to pull out some nuggets from the uh, from the episodes i kind of it's difficult for me because i kind of batch record them so it's tricky to remember what's gone out what's been said who said what what hasn't gone out what's been approved what hasn't been approved what can i talk about what can't i talk about so i'm glad that you're picking up on them and that we can we can talk about them um because i guess it's what some other people are picking up on as well and interspersing these um uh, social episodes through the um through the i was going to call them real episodes but you know what i mean um, yeah, the, the interview episodes, yeah, the proper ones, the ones that make some sense. Um, they, there's a chance for a bit more of a, a dialogue, um, not just between us, obviously, because that's the show. But uh, if anybody wants to to chip in um, and, and talk about any of these things, I said we'd kind of finish up with something to share. You kind of already mentioned yours, so that which one are we going to drop in the the show notes? The um, Neil Ashton's new initiative. Yeah, I'm kind of keen for that. What's your What's your thoughts? I'll tell, well, I'll just read the web address out, and then people can go. Oh, I'll just drop it in the show. Well, you can, okay. do, but otherwise, I'll just drop yeah, it in okay. the show notes. Go on, read it out anyway, in case. People okay, so it's, uh, <laughs> there you go. It's autocfd.eng.ox.ac.uk, um, and there's Snappy. a nice picture, nice picture on the front page of probably some DES of the famed driver model. So that looks good. Um, what was yours? I, I've either forgotten. Or you didn't tell me what it was no, going to be. I haven't, I haven't told you, but I have a oh. feeling you know you know a bit more about it than me. So you might be able to shed some light on it. Ooh, um, okay, just a little bit. No, it's a uh, it's a sneaky one. We're not going to do this too frequently, but uh, I'd heard about this new consultancy uh, upstream applied science. So I was going to share <laughs> their 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 website. Um, 
and uh, got to give you the, the platform to, to mention it a little bit more because we talked more about monolith than we did about about your thing so um where do people need to go to find out more about this simon Okay, thank you, Robin. So uh, it's www.upstream-applied-science.com. Bit of a mouthful. Um, yeah, it's um, it's live for a couple of weeks now. I've just tried to get the essence of what I'm up to. So uh, if you want to go and have a look, there's a form on there. If you've got any questions, then feel free to, to fill your details in and I'll get back to you on whatever you want to talk about. What is your sort of current comfy spot what do you want to talk to people about what do you who do you want to hear from going back to our conversation about being market sector specific and i'm not i guess i'm interested to hear from people who have got some particular technical challenges and are interested uh to see whether taking a simulation approach could help them out and they haven't tried it yet oh that's interesting so people perhaps who so not people who are already doing it and want to do something next level but perhaps people who have got a got a sneaking suspicion that they're missing out yeah so i was going to say uh, people who've got a sneaking suspicion that they're missing out or people who have been sufficiently skeptical up to this point in time to not explore it and now thinking that um, it's an area they might like to have a look at or people who have tried it and have been unhappy with it um to see if there's anything that I can do to kind of make them happier. Um, You know, if people are doing CFD and they're doing it well and it's meeting their needs, I'd love to hear from them just from an interest and a kind of success story point point of view. But I guess my interests in terms of areas where I think I can help people are those people who are looking to introduce it and how do you introduce a CFD simulation workflow into your product development process or... um, people who have tried to do that and have found some challenges and to see if I can help them with those challenges. See, although you were kind of conflicted about the sort of market sector specificity um, or not having a niche, um, I think sort of you've kind of got a little demographic niche there, a kind of a number of people that, uh, that that you think that you can deliver the most value to. So whilst it perhaps on the one hand doesn't sound like you are that focused, maybe on the other hand you are you know what i mean there, you're not you're not trying to talk to everybody about everything no that's right um and i guess for me the specific uh, i tried to say ah. i can't i can't do it i tried to catch you out i'm going to say another word now <laughs> i guess the area where i'm targeting is not so much right. um market segments <laughs> um it's more about um where people are in terms of the design process. Um, And so that's the background to the name of the company. So upstream, as in trying to get your simulation and your math models as early on in your design process as possible so that you can get around some of these challenges about design direction without experimental data, or you can start to kind of leverage the um, amount of information you can get without having to go off and do lots of physical tests. So that's the that's the kind of naming strategy for the company is to try and get your, your simulation, your maths models um, upstream in your design process. So yes, I am being quite specific in terms of where the tool set's used rather than the industry that it's being used in. Awesome. Right, so links in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Uh, links to us 
as in the show notes, I imagine. Yeah, I'll link to uh, our LinkedIn connect with us if you want to have a chat about anything that we've mentioned. I'm sure you probably see it. LinkedIn seems to be the most active for these shares and things. So if you do see it on LinkedIn, give us a thumbs up, give us a follow, um, drop a comment in the box as long as it's a nice one. Um, have I missed anything? No, that's spot on. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks talking about another couple of interviews. Great stuff. Look forward to it, Robin. Good to be back. Thanks for coming back, Simon. And you take care. Cheers.